Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5. Like I said, I, I, I really want to dive into a series on the anointing. The anointing is a fascinating study. I am a proud graduate of Jimmy Swaggart Bible College. I went there in 1986. I was one of those intellectuals that squeezed a two-year degree into three and a half years. I'll give you a moment to process that. And I came out with a two-year degree in youth ministry. Uh, Kathy came out with a two-year degree in missions. And uh, we, never, we never ended up as missionaries or, well, I guess we did youth pastor for a short time here. Uh, but uh, that school really emphasized the whole concept of the anointing. And the anointing is an, is an important thing. In the Old Testament, uh, in Old Testament times, the anointing was used even as uh, normal cleaning habits where, you know, people cleanse themselves and they would anoint themselves with oil to make themselves presentable. And part of the way that people would mourn, they would not anoint their face with oil. It was a dry climate, very, very arid climate. And so they would not, and when they were in times of mourning or fasting, they wouldn't present themselves as anointed with oil. And so there was this background, this normal use of Oil, and it was called anointing yourself with oil. And you see that show up in scripture. But when God called his people, what he told Abraham, or I mean uh, Moses to do, he told them, you're going to anoint uh, the artifacts for the tabernacle. You're going to put oil on them. That's going to consecrate them and sanctify them, make them holy. And then you're going to do the same with the priests. Uh, there's an interesting passage I've been delving into. I'm not going to get into it this morning, and I've got to be careful or I'll slide right into it. Uh, Exodus 25, where God, God tells Moses what he's going to do with Aaron and his sons. And he said, you're going to anoint them, consecrate them, and ordain them. Three separate words, anoint, consecrate, and ordain. It's an interesting little bunch of words, and he breaks it down in the following passage what that meant and the significance of that. And perhaps we'll get into that in days to come because there's some rich stuff for there for us. But I'm going to practice self control and not go there this morning. <laughs> but then when we saw Israel move into their first royal dynasty with the, with the inauguration of Saul, God told Samuel to anoint him as king. So now we went from anointing artifacts and priests. Now there was this element of anointing kings. And when the anointing came on them, the spirit of God came on them. And although they're very closely associated, they're not the same. So much so that Isaiah 61, we're all familiar with that passage, or many of us are. It's quoted again by Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. He reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he has anointed me. The anointing attracts the spirit. And there's something fascinating about this prophetic act of anointing people with oil that God recognizes and he will ride in on and the spirit will come on anointing. I don't claim to fully understand that. I'm just telling you what the word says. Jesus himself said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Why? Because God has anointed me. 
And so there's a very close association of anointing and the Spirit of God coming upon us. And anointing was the ability to, it brought with it the power of God and the ability of God to do what we couldn't do without him. It also had this element of authority. That's why kings were anointed. And there, after that, they were called the anointed. And so much so, when God says in his word, touch not my anointed, do my prophets no harm, this is a whole nother thing. Just, this, this is fascinating to me, okay? Just give me a little, little moment to go off on this little tributary. All these different, the priests, the kings were anointed by human beings, by prophets, but prophets were never anointed by man. But the Lord says, touch not my anointed, comma, do my prophets no harm. So prophets were anointed, but they weren't anointed by man. They were anointed by God. They didn't represent any earthly kingdom. They represented the voice of the Lord and the word of the Lord. And and they would break in. And they were the ones that would then do the anointing of others. Moses was a prophet, and he anointed the priests. Samuel was a prophet, and he anointed the kings. And so we see this interesting thing that there's this element of recognizing what God is saying and anointing and then the Spirit of God would come on that cooperative act that was both man and God, man recognizing what's on someone, anointing them with oil and the Spirit of God would come on them after that. But with the prophets, it didn't take a human anointing. I'm not even fully, I don't even fully know what to make of that but it really intrigues me. That there's something about that Old Testament prophetic anointing that came straight from heaven. And a lot of times these guys would show up with no background and just begin to declare the word of the Lord. And they would confront kings of the earth. It's an amazing thing. But there was an anointing on them. And so the Lord says, touch not my anointed, do my prophets no harm. You see, even with Saul, Saul was anointed the Spirit of God lifted off of him, but he was still called anointed after that. So there was a difference between those two, and David recognized, I don't want to touch God's anointed. Even though Saul was a rogue king, he had gotten off track, and he had gotten off track in relationship to David, and it had tried to take David out. There was something in David that recognized the anointing on Saul's life and realized, I'm not going to touch him. God's going to have to deal with him. And there was twice that Saul was actually delivered into David's hands and David could have ended the life of the man who was trying to take his own. And David said, no, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. And matter of fact, after when Saul was finally killed, Uh, a a guy comes and tells him, runs all night, brings Saul's crown to David and said, God has told you, you're going to be the king. It was widely known in Israel that David was the heir to the throne and not not the sons of Saul. He delivered the crown to him and he said, how do you know that Saul's dead? He said, I killed him. He said he was leaning on his, his spear. He was wounded and he knew the enemy was coming. So he asked me to kill him and I did. And David's response, rather than rejoicing in the death of the man who had tried to kill him as God's anointed, 
He said, by your own words, you've condemned yourself. And he told one of his soldiers, take the guy out and kill him. Because he said, did you not fear to take the life of the Lord's anointed? So there's something about that anointing that brings authority that only God gives and only God takes. And we've got to respect that. And just as a side issue, there's, I told you there's a lot of tributaries to this. As a side issue, we need to understand we respect the anointing. There is something about position and anointing that we honor even when the person is less than honorable. And we've got to be careful. There are people I have worked under. I worked under a man many years ago. I'm not going to say where. It wasn't in this region. Uh, the guy was a rageaholic. He would just yell at his staff and just go off on people. Uh, it, was, it was a pretty dicey place to work. I remember one night, one early, well, it was late one night, uh, I was, I'd go to bed about nine because I had to get up really early to open this guy's daycare. He kicked my front door in, was, kicked my bedroom door in, screaming at me, yelling. I just woke up and I said, I don't even understand what you're talking about. I'm asleep. He just gone into this rage. That was just the kind of guy I was. And there was broken bodies in the wake of this man's ministry. But I look back and I, would, I wouldn't trade for anything my time under that man's ministry. I wouldn't go back for anybody but Jesus. <laughs> but I would not trade my time under that man's ministry. I found a very practical thing. The Lord is very, very practical. While he's working something out of someone, he'll use it on you on its way out. And if we don't pass those tests, then we will forfeit the greater thing the Lord has for us. Sometimes what we, now I, I hope there's not a lot of amens to this. Sometimes what we learn from uh, laboring under a man of God is what not to do and not just what to do. I was listening. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true. There are things that we learn what not to do, but we honor the position even when we may have a hard time honoring the person. And God will honor that in a man or woman's life. It's very important. There's something about the anointing that we don't touch that God has ordained, and it's a serious thing. Now, that's not to say, let me safeguard that. That's not to say that leaders who fall, there, there shouldn't be safeguards and accountability, and those with the authority to step in to deal with it, deal with it, but we still honor that position. And so we have this thing called the anointing. Now, what, what I really want to zero in on this morning, and, and uh, hopefully, God willing, in, in the coming days, we'll do a series on the anointing and go down some of these tributaries. But what I want to look at this morning, and we're going we're to use David as our example, that David had three specific anointings in his life. There was a progressive anointing that came on David. The first anointing came at the hands of Saul. Saul anointed David as king. At that stage, David had an anointing, but no platform. Samuel. I mean, what did I say? Saul. Saul. Samuel anointed David. He anointed him. And it, here's the interesting thing. At that stage of David's life, it actually took a prophet, a seer, to see the potential on this young man's life. Nobody else saw it. It took the Spirit of God on a prophetic voice to see something nobody else saw. And he anointed David. And that, so David's initial anointing was an anointing by a prophet. And it, what it did is it brought both favor and opposition on his life. 
And that's exactly what I want to talk about this morning. That there are always a twin response to a fresh touch of God on our life. Anytime God gives you a fresh anointing, and understand, David is not an anomaly. This is not some, some uh, one-off situation. David is an example to us. There are progressive anointings. Who you are and what you walk in today should not be the, the plateau of your life. There's always more in God. And if you want more, there are certain tests you have to pass at the level at which you are. And when you're faithful with little, you'll be made faithful with much. And there was promotional anointings that David went through. The first anointing was at the hand of Samuel, not Saul. At the hand of Samuel, at that anointing, David, it was David had been living a life in private that nobody was aware of. Nobody understood the potential on this young man's life. But the Spirit of God came on a prophet and he, he uncorked the oil and poured it on David's head. And what that brought was favor. The next thing you know, David is, is being called into the, the royal court to play his harp for Saul. And he also finds himself on the battlefield fighting Goliath. We don't see this stuff happening in David's life until there was an anointing that came upon him. Because there are twin, there are twin things that come on a man's or a woman's life when you're anointed. There is favor and favor, biblical favor is the grace of God on you that makes people attracted to you and makes them want to work with you. Let me say it again. It's the grace of God on you that makes people attracted to you and makes them want to work with you. That's what favor is. And so you'll find that all of a sudden there's doors that will open. There's people that will recognize something on you and you will have favor and they want to work with you. You'll be the person that stands out. They want to pull you in. That is what favor is about. And favor is essential for the anointing. Matter of fact, let's, before we get into these other two anointings, let's, let's read uh, 2 Samuel verse 5. We'll start in verse 1. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are bone, your bone and flesh. Okay, so the context of this was the third anointing that David received. The second anointing that David received was after the death of Dave, or of Jonathan and Saul. Saul and his princely son that was the heir to the throne, both of them were killed in battle. And the, the tribe of Judah, of which David was a part, came to him and said, we want to make you king. We understand who you are. We understand the, the touch of God on your life. We, you have favor with us. We want to crown you as our king. So the second anointing that David enjoyed was a tribal family anointing. He was coming into a partial fulfillment of the word of the Lord on his life. He was made, he was made faithful over little, and if he stewarded that well, he would be made faithful over much, and the fulfillment of Samuel's original word would come upon him, and that's what we see here in 2 Samuel 5. So we have this interesting dynamic. The first anointing, it took a prophet to even recognize it. The second anointing, his tribal family recognized it, but even though the rest of the nation knew the word of the Lord over his life, they refused to acknowledge the anointing on his life. So David stepped into a partial anointing. Often what, the, what prophecy is, it is an announcement of your future calling. 
of what God has placed his spirit upon you for. But often what happens is we step into a partial fulfillment and we've got to steward that well. So as we steward a little, God will give us much. He'll give us favor to steward that a little amount so that later on he can expand our dominion. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is talking about this very thing. He talked about, he said, I'm not going to brag about work done in another man's field. That word there, he uses two words in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He uses the word uh, metron and the other one is canon, where we get the word canon or canon of scripture. A metron and a canon. They're both refer to measurements and they are boundary lines for the calling. There's one translation that Paul talks about a fence line, uh, draw, uh, marking out your domain or the, the geographic place that God has called you with a fence line. And Paul said, I'm not going to try to labor in another man's field. I'm going to spend my labors in the field that I have. I'm going to tell you, this is very important for those of, those of us that, well, all of us, because we all have an allotment, an assignment from God. And so often what we do is we get bored with what God has called us to do and we want to prematurely promote ourselves outside of our metron. We want to do, we, we want to see the Lord promote us. We want to print up, you know, business cards, cosmic apostle, you know, have, have Bible, will travel. And we're not even being faithful with the patch of ground God has given us and we want to extend our, our notoriety and our platform. Now, there was something within Paul that burned, he said, to preach the gospel beyond them. The Corinthians were part of his apostolic allotment. He was a sent one to these people in this geographic region, the Gentiles of Corinth, and he came there, and they were spiritual children to me. He established a church. There was raised up this wonderful church, and in that book of 2 Corinthians, he's talking about there were interlopers, people who were trying to come in and call the herd and take what he'd labored for and begin to cut them off from Paul and say, ah, oh, Paul doesn't really know what he's talking about. He's one of those minor guys, and so why don't you follow us? And Paul, if you read it through that lens, Paul is writing this book. It's this broken-hearted father in the faith that has to awkwardly defend his calling to these people. And you can, you can read the discomfort of Paul having to pull that card on them and saying, listen, I've heard it said that you guys are, you, you guys are saying that when my letters are weighty, but when I show up, I'm, I'm kind of boring when I speak. He said, what I will be in actions what I am in my writing, if need be. But I'm going to deal with this because he had this fatherly concern to guard what God had established. But Paul had a desire to preach the gospel beyond them. That's why he said, he said, I'm going to pour into you, I'm going to invest in you, and as you grow, you will put a greater demand upon my gift, which will cause me to have to step up. Your demand on me will cause me to grow. And he says, then I will preach the gospel beyond you. What Paul is insinuating is, if I'm faithful with the patch of ground God has given me, that I can actually outgrow my assignment by being so faithful that the people I'm pouring into will grow. They'll put a demand on me, making me have to grow, and I will no longer fit in my fence line. And God will give a promotion and allow us 
to step beyond that. And David is a great Old Testament example of that very thing. And so David had a, an anointing from a prophet. Then he had anointing from family. And then he had a national anointing. And each one of these anointings brought its own form of opposition and its own form of favor. I find it fascinating that the children of Israel, that you read in this passage in 2 Samuel chapter 5, the elders come to David and they say, we know the Lord has declared that you will rule over all of Israel. I bet David was thinking, well, it's about time. If you knew that, what's taking you so long? He'd been ruling as king over partial kingdom for seven and a half years. He'd been carrying this word for some 13 years. He'd, he had been carrying this word from the Lord, and now finally this thing's going to break in. There was something about the, the, the larger national movement that they were going to go by tradition rather than what they recognized God was doing. Well, Saul has a son. We're going to honor the, that royal lineage until Ishbosheth was killed. And then what he did is that then they came to David and said, We know the word of the Lord over your life. There are some people will recognize what's on your life when you don't, like Samuel. There are some people that it'll take them a while. A lot of times it's your family and friends because they know who you were previously. And so it takes them a while to take, you know, to get with this thing. But then there's others that they're going to just go by tradition, but God will, if God, if there's a word from the Lord over your life, if you are faithful with the partial, he'll bring you into the fullness. And there is obstacles to each one of these. So when I say that there's favor on our lives from the anointing, the anointing attracts the Spirit of God and it attracts those sensitive to the Spirit of God. It, it attracts those who honor the word of the Lord, those with eyes to see. I am convinced that there are times the Lord will veil the eyes of some on what's on our life to do a test in our heart. And we need that. And so those tests are crucial. But the other side of this thing of favor is the anointing always attracts opposition. As I was sitting up there in the balcony, this is what the Lord began to talk to me about, the provocative nature of the anointing. The word provocation or provocative means to elicit strong emotion, anger, frustration, annoyance. And then the dictionary says, and usually in a deliberate manner. The anointing is deliberately provocative to the enemies of God. I'm talking about the spiritual realm and sometimes the humans that they ride. <laughs> but the anointing is provocative and we need to understand this. Because if we don't understand this, we can become confused and offended and end up feeling like that's the last time I ever want to be anointed. <laughs> Every fresh touch from God is going to elicit fresh opposition in your life. It's going to bring fresh favor. There's going to be good things that happen. 
We see it with Jesus when heavens opened, the dove descended, the Father spoke. Three facets of this thing. And we'll, this is another tributary. We'll get into this in the days to come. How there's an open heaven that comes with the anointing. There is the love of the Father. There's, there's an anointing of power. There's an anointing of love. And there's an anointing of wisdom that comes from the anointing. Those three facets. But Jesus was immediately driven into the wilderness to be tested of the enemy. And everywhere Jesus went, that anointing on him provoked a response from the enemy. It always does. And if we don't understand this, what happens at the altar will be lost. What happens at the altar on Sunday will be lost on Monday because of the opposition we experience. Now, oh my goodness, it's late. Okay, let, let's just give a cursory overview. There are, there are really three types of opposition that come in our life. There is the opposition, the spiritual opposition. We see with David, let's, let's read on here. Uh, so, uh, behold, we are bone of your bone, bone and flesh. It is time in times past when Saul was king over us. It was you who led us out and brought us and brought in Israel. That word, leading us out and bringing us in, a military phrase. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel and you shall be prince over Israel. He, he makes a distinction between shepherding people and ruling a nation. And that, that's... Need to realize you don't you 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 shepherd people, but you rule organizations and corporate establishments. Uh, so he goes on, verse three. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David, and we, here we have his his three anointings. David was thirty years old when he began to reign. And uh, where he began to reign for 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And we know he carried an anointing from Samuel before that time. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all of Israel and Judah 33 years. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem and against the Jebusites. Uh, verse 10, we're going to jump down. And David became greater and greater for the Lord. Look at verse 11. Here's the... The favor that comes on us through the anointing. And David became greater and greater for the Lord. The God of hosts was with him. Verse 11, and Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and also carpenters and masons who built David a house. So all of a sudden, this pagan king was attracted to David and said, I want to work with you. I'm going to send supplies. I'm going to send people. And I'm going to help you establish your kingdom. There was favor on David's life. And let me just pause here. I think one of the dangers when we talk about anointing is we have a tendency to think of anointing only for what I'm doing or what we do around the altars, or going on missions trips, or paying, praying for the sick. And absolutely, we need anointing for those things. But God wants, to, the first time we see the Spirit of God coming on someone in Scripture was a craftsman that was going to weave cloth and carve, uh, carve things for the temple. God wants to anoint you for the insurance business. He wants to anoint you to be a, an anointed doctor. God wants to anoint us for our assignment. 
Now listen to what David says, or it says of David in verse 12. And David knew the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. The King James Version said, and David perceived that he was made king over Israel. You think, what do you mean he perceived it? It's like he finally realized he was king? No, what he was perceiving the purpose of his anointing. David understood, I am, I'm a man with favor, the anointing's on me, I'm now the king. But the important element was this, David perceived the purpose of the anointing on his life. He understood he was put in a royal position for a purpose, for God's purposes for Israel. And that's a very important thing. The anointing is not for our own consumption. The anointing will make a man or woman look better than they really are. It will. It'll make you look smarter, sound better, but it's for the purposes of God. And if we use it as a means to win and we buy into the lie, well, I must be something special. I must be something better than the rest because the anointing's on me. No. It, there's a purpose behind the anointing. And when we discern it, we can cooperate with it. The anointing is always, always, always connected to an assignment. That's why people can, we've, we've heard too many stories of, of people who weren't living with great character privately, but they were anointed publicly. Why? Because in public they were fulfilling their assignment, the anointing was on them, but there's a shelf life on that kind of behavior. And pretty soon it will wear thin and their private life will be exposed in their public life and their ministry, their influence will come to an end. But the anointing is always part of, connected to assignment. And that's why if we were anointed in the moment and we know there's compromise in our private life, don't buy into the lie that you are the exception to the rule. Don't buy into the lie. Well, hey, God's anointing me. He must not, he, he must understand why I'm into those things. This must be okay because, man, when I prayed for those people, they were healed. Or when I, when I preached, hundreds were saved or fill in the blank, whatever your assignment is. The anointing is connected to assignment. But our character is what carries that anointing. And if we don't keep our character in line, we won't be able to carry that anointing long. That's right. We won't be able to fulfill our assignment. Okay, jump to verse 17. My goodness, it's late. Uh, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. So the anointing, the third anointing on David's life, it attracted favor from Hiram, but opposition from the Philistines. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed, they amassed their numbers and came after him. David's second anointing, or David's first anointing rather, attracted favor from Saul initially and then opposition from Saul eventually. Because the anointing on our life will always result in both. We see it in Jesus' life. As soon as he was anointed, he was driven into the wilderness and he was tested by the enemy. And God allowed it. As I was up there in the balcony and I heard God moving on, 
doing a work in some of the ladies' lives, and I don't know who it was, one lady yelled out, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for everything. I thought, that's beautiful. Public repentance, glory. And then I thought, some of these ladies are about ready to step into a blast furnace of trial in the weeks to come. Because what God did in their life is going to be challenged by the enemy in the coming days. And what we need to realize, what we receive at the altar or through the laying on of hands is established in the trial. It's not established there. It's received there, but it takes root in the middle of the trial. When we toe the line and we stand our ground and we need to go in with our eyes open when there are fresh anointings coming on our life that we got to understand that there's going to be fresh opposition. That anointing came for a reason and it's to deal with the obstacles to our calling up ahead. And there's going to be opposition. And if we don't understand that, people get disillusioned. A lot of times people will have a fresh touch from God and all of a sudden the wheels come off in their life and they blow up and there's a big argument and they're wondering what in the world happened? Was that not real? No, that's the proof it was real. The proof that it was real is the opposition you're in right now. And it's not just the enemy that will resist those things. There is a spiritual opposition to the anointing, but there's also a social opposition, a psychological opposition to the anointing. Whereas David faced Goliath with the first anointing, the enemy of God, a demon-possessed giant, the second anointing, it, the second anointing it was finally that his family was accepting him. His family didn't accept his first anointing. Matter of fact, his dad didn't even invite him to the party. They didn't look at him as a candidate. And part of what the anointing does is the power of God comes upon us and it, we step into something fresh. And everybody we love around us is going to expect the old us to walk in the door. We were talking about this recently on a Wednesday night. We were talking about how the whole concept in scripture called familiar spirits. And familiar spirits, there's a reason they're called familiar spirits. The Spanish word, the root word is familia, your family. There are spirits that they, they, what they do is they uh, reinforce the patterns of behavior from your family of origin. The Septuagint translates that word, the Hebrew word that we translate familiar spirit or a, peer, a person with a spirit of divination, or a necromancer, someone who contacts the dead. All of those are translations of this word. It's O-B-O-T, obot. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament that Alexander the Great had translated, they translated that word obot as ventriloquist. Because the idea was that the obot, and this word was used of the place of the dead where they were trying to contact, the spirits of the dead, the people they were trying to contact, the person trying to do the contact, the necromancer or the person with the familiar spirit. But what it was is they were trying to give voice as a ventriloquist to the, the dead relatives to become the person who would give voice to reinforce these negative patterns of that old family system. So this spiritual thing that we talk about, familiar spirits, has a psychological, sociological uh, um, 
uh, element to it. That when, when the fresh anointing comes on us and God is transforming us as an individual, what he's going to do is he's going to restructure not just who you are in the first anointing, he's going to bring you into a second anointing where finally your family accepts who you really are. Your, your close relationships have to accommodate the new you. And until they do, it's not, you have not really been transformed. That transformation is not complete. So the first anointing comes upon us. The prophets see it. The second anointing is when our families begin to recognize, wow, they are different and we just got to get with the program. We can't treat them like the person they used to be. I've told this before, but I remember I was saved for probably five years. Came home to visit my mom and dad one time and some of my old buddies swung by and we went cruising around and I'm out there preaching to them. They're, they're drinking a 12-pack, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, don't let us get pulled over. But uh, I'm preaching to them. We pull up to my house. I tell them, see you later. I go in the house of my dad sitting in his recliner. I said, how you doing, Dad? And we're talking, and he finally says, Dave, it's just now, after all these years, that I don't hold my breath wondering if you're going to be drunk when you come in that door. And for about 20 seconds, my heart was wounded. And I thought, Dad, don't, don't you know? But I'm serious. Did you think I was still blowing smoke in your face? But I quickly realized I had blown so much smoke in his face previously that it took time to restore that trust. And that was on me, not on him. I had to earn that trust back and that's part of that transformation. And in subtle ways, those around you, they are not obligated to receive the new you, you have to live that and your relationships accommodate it. They grow around that. And we can get offended. Well, you know, didn't you hear the word of the Lord over my life the other night? Hey, didn't you hear what that prophet said? I can't take out the garbage anymore. I'm called to the nations. You know, and your wife's like, hey, buddy, you know, you international evangelist, take the trash out. We got to be faithful and little. And as we emulate that, trans, that personal transformation, people begin to accommodate that. And it goes from the prophets recognize it before anybody else does. Then our families begin to recognize that. And if you're still getting pushback from your family, maybe it's because you're still emula or <laughs> emulating some of the behavior of the previous person before you got that fresh touch from God. And so it's on us to weather that and to hold the ground. And it, it, there's, it's a subtle thing, this dynamic. A lot of times the very people who prayed us into transformation are the people who initially resist it. The wife who's crying out to God to save her husband. And then he walks in the door. He's ready to take charge as the man of the house. And she said, it ain't gonna happen, pal. I've been pulling the weight in this home and I'm still in charge. And so on that end, the prayer needs to recognize, okay, God's answering my prayers. I've got to get with the program. I want to ask the Lord, God, give me prophetic eyes to see the transformation so I can, I can facilitate this thing quickly and I can get with what you're doing in them. But if you're the one that got prayed in, <laughs> then just realize there's some work to do and we've got to deal with this opposition. And then finally, David came into this national anointing and there was a, a nation opposed him. 
Whenever God gives you a fresh touch, there's going to be human opposition and there's going to be demonic opposition. And both of those are essential to bring you into what God wants to do in your life. It's always that way. Anytime you get a fresh touch from God, it's going to be established in the wilderness. This is why. And let's stand so you know I'm going to quit. This is why it says of Jesus, he went down in the water, came up, the heavens opened, the dove descended, audible voice, amazing. He was driven into the wilderness, it says, full of the Spirit. He was 40 days being tempted and tested. And at the end of that, it says, and he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. There are a lot of people who never experience the power of the anointing. They just experience, they receive a fresh touch. It's an experience. It's something that they experience between them and God. And those are wonderful things. But David perceived the purpose of his anointing. The anointing is not just to make you feel better. It's to come upon you, to empower you for an assignment. And when we understand that, we understand the opposition the enemy is going to oppose the purpose of the anointing. I'm going to tell you, the enemy usually understands and discerns the purpose of your anointing long before you do. He understands what's on your... He's seen John Wesley's before. He's seen Mariah Woodworth Edders before. He recognizes those, those flashes on a person's life and he realizes, uh-oh, this is one I need to oppose. And we need to have a mindset that when the Spirit of God comes on us, we become full of the Spirit. But being Spirit-filled like Jesus is not enough. We want to walk in the power of that filling. But between him stepping out in power and going in and the filling was a testing time. And if we don't understand that, We'll have stories of all these encounters, but there's really no real world manifestation of us walking in the power of God. There are tests with the anointing. There's opposition from leaders like Saul. There's rejection from family like Jesse. There's rejection from the elders of Israel, but David kept his heart right. And he understood God, you are the one who holds the keys to my future. And if I'm going to be promoted, it's you. David didn't fight to get the throne and he never fought to keep it. God secured the throne for David. And he'll do the same for you. But if we don't understand this element, the, the provocative nature of the anointing will become disillusioned and begin to doubt what God did at the altar. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we just ask this morning, Lord, that you renew our minds. Lord, we want to step into all that you have for us. Just wait on the Lord for a moment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Man, I just felt it from the Lord very strong. There are those of you in this room, you've had an initial touch and God is greatly desiring 
to expand your fence line, to expand your territory, but you've gotten discouraged in the opposition and the limited anointing that you're walking in. And God wants you to get a mindset that there's more for you. There, nobody in the kingdom is insignificant. There's an anointing that he has for us to walk in our calling. God wants his favor to drop on you that makes others want to work with you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I just feel like there's some this morning that discouragement, the opposition so discouraged you that you've given, you've let go of some things that God has done in the past. You've let go of some promises and, the, and you've started to slip into some old habits to kind of placate your hurting heart. And the Lord wants to renew your vision this morning. David had to hold to the promise of Samuel. It wasn't that Samuel missed it. It was that prophecy is a promise we contend for. And we contend for it through being faithful. Through really tending to what's in front of us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So Lord, we're asking in the coming days that you would help us to understand this important concept. We want it said of us, the spirit of the Lord is on me, for the Lord hath anointed me to preach good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those that are captive. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.